and welcome to the Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen. As always, Sam and Maisie are logged on with me. Once again, guys, we are on Zoom. One day we will see each other again, but for the minute, we're still on the internet. How are we? Very good. Thank you, Helen. How are you? Good week, everyone. I'm good, thank you. Good week, everyone. Yeah, decent. United's back. Playing, that's, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. It's, do you know what? It's quite... Um, Obviously, it's great to have football back, but obviously there's a lot of games on and I'm really, really busy with the kids, so I don't always get to watch them. But just having that background noise and finding it really soothing, even if I'm not watching the game. The kids? No, the match. Oh, oh It's a very different background noise. Do you watch with the fake crowd or do you watch without the fake crowd? Well, I tried it with both, but I I like it with the fake crowd, I have to say. No. But it feels more uh, authentic and it feels more like football with the fake crowd, but I quite like trying to listen to the players. Yeah, I like to yeah, listen to the players. If I'm just having it on in the background, then then I'd be fake crowd. But it just makes me think of like a pre-season game or something. If yeah. I listen to it without the crowd, it is a bit like that, isn't it? But it's so nice to have it back. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. Our podcasts, um, all of them, I think, have made the headlines somewhere for the players that we've been talking to. Obviously, there was lots of drama with Paul Pogba and Graham Souness, and uh, Paul Scholes was in uh, the papers, and Maisie, you featured in some of the papers when yours yes, came out. Yeah, but what hasn't happened? until very recently, is that the things that we've just been talking about have made the papers. But that's changed, hasn't it, Helen? Helen? My, pi- my pigeon problem <laughs> is going viral. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I actually took a video yesterday and I meant to send it into our WhatsApp group. I came home and I thought, I'm going to send them a video of these little pigeons just walking around. And now when I come in the driveway, I beat the horn so <laughs> they all move off the grass because there's literally so many of them. <laughs> But yes, my pigeon story went to the papers. To the, to the Belfast Telegraph. Had the a Belfast article about it, didn't they? <laughs> um, Helen, yeah. Ma- Helen McConnell. And did you just tell us that Johnny actually thought you'd, you'd given them an interview about it as opposed yeah, so to them he, just picking up the podcast? My friend had messaged me yesterday and she said she sent me the link. And I was like, oh my goodness, as if this has made the papers. How embarrassing. Um, and then Johnny had seen it as well on the Belfast Telegraph, but he didn't say to me until he got home and he went oh that story about the the pigeons was in the paper and I said I know um and he said for a minute I was thinking has she actually went and spoke to someone about <laughs> like an actual interview about these pigeons but no it was taken from our podcast yeah just a just an innocent chat why don't you get one of the machines that I sent you outside Asda I they know, look really cool I know a machine playing fake geese yeah but it's actually full of bird poop so maybe that one doesn't work. I don't think that my neighbours would really appreciate that. I don't know about everybody else who's listening, Helen, but I think of you now as the pigeon lady from Home Alone 2. <laughs> oh, no. I've given myself a reputation. Yeah, just covered in pigeons. I'm not going to mention the pigeons ever again. That's it. Done. <laughs> Right, today's guest, guys, uh, it's a former player. He's been mentioned by lots of guests on our um, podcast so far for his coaching role. We haven't heard a lot about his playing career. It's Jim Ryan, somebody that you know very well, Maisie. I did. I worked with Jim for a few years when I was um, coming to the latter stages of my United career. Fantastic guy, very, very well respected in the club. And a, a, a man that a lot of the younger players, you know, the class of 92 will always mention Jim because of the way he brought them through. And I think also the fact that he's he signed so many players as well, or went to scout so many players, is great credit to to what his contribution to Manchester United was. Mm-hmm. Great guy. 
I would include myself in this until we until we were doing this and researching it, and and I was trying to learn more about Jim in in preparation to talk to him today. Are, are there many people more who who've been more influential? Do you think to the history of Manchester United than Jim Ryan? There can't be many. Uh, probably not. No, I think when you when you look through the history of the last thirty years, that is that it was at the club, the players that come through, phenomenal, and not just not just the young players, but also. Players like Ronnie and um, our current manager now. You know, you, you got to watch Ronnie and you see this young kid scoring goals centre forward and, you know, we end up signing a pair of them. So, great great knowledge and, and you have to have, I think you have to have a certain skill as well to spot talent. You know, you can just say, mm-hmm. oh, he's a good player or he's a good player, but, you know, the players that he's actually picked up on are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Great coaching career at Manchester United yeah. um, as you say brought through so many players um, he was head of the youth mm. there as well as other roles he um, was Sir Alex's right hand man he even managed the team when Sir Alex was away um, at a funeral um, one time so he's got that on his CV too but also played with Law Best Charlton mm-hmm. he played in the, the 68 era he's got a, a medal for that and as you say Sam he just kind of goes under the radar and keeps himself quiet. That's incredible. Yeah, I think so. When you think about the size of the club, because everybody, mm-hmm. like the way you two talk about it, everybody inside the club knows all about him and, and mm-hmm. what he's done. But outside, he's kind of um, sort of a mystery. Not anymore after this podcast, hopefully. So here he is, Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan. Sorry, hang on one second. It's before you start. Sorry, Sam. Oh, Maisie, have you got a TV on the background? Yeah. Pop that off for us, please, mate. Yeah. How long has he been doing this for? Seriously. It's nice to know that Maisie's not changed since I was... No, not <laughs> at all. Sorry, troops. Sorry, troops. <laughs> Jim Ryan, welcome to the Manchester United podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks, yeah. Apart from the lock-in. How has the lockdown been for you, Jim? Oh, it's just every other day kind of thing, you know. You can do it for a day, all right, and find someone to take up the time, yeah. but then... You wake up some mornings and you think, I don't even know what I'm going to do this mm. today. Yeah? And that's those are the worst days. Especially for you, because you've always been somebody that's been so busy. I mean, you you didn't retire that long ago, really, either. No, no. Yeah, but I don't think I'm much different from everybody, you know. And my daughter's the same. Some days she gets fed up with it. And it is what it is, I think. I know. But well, we can try and give you a, a distraction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to go right back to the start, Jim. We're going to do um, a little life story of Jim Ryan. So, born in Stirling, what was life like growing up for you? Well, well, I wasn't actually born in Stirling. I was born in a mining village about oh. three miles from Stirling. Stirling, I suppose, yeah. Come on, Jim. We're not, we're not, we're not being pedantic here. It's about <laughs> three miles. <laughs> well, mining villages are, are what they are, you know. So, that's probably responsible for my career in football because mm-hmm. all we could do in that village was play football. And there are some really good players there. I heard uh, I heard a great story that when you're when you when you did start playing a lot of football and when getting really into football, that uh, Celtic came knocking, <laughs> and your your dad sent them packing. Yeah, you've got to understand that football in Scotland is loosely attached to religion. <laughs> My dad was a Rangers supporter, so he didn't want me playing for Celtic. And the, the scout came round to the house one day. He didn't tell me. He told me about two days later. I had a guy from Celtic around here. I told him you didn't want to play for them. He says, <laughs> <laughs> I was desperate to, 
to go to find a club, you know. How worried were you? Did you think that might be that might be the one chance that that someone comes? Um, I didn't really think that because I I played for Falkirk. I played these games where you're Mr. Newman, you know, in the paper with me, Mr. Newman. <laughs> against Clyde, who were uh, who had the international fullback. So I was playing these games and I was kind of waiting for some somebody to offer. But a guy told me they won't offer you anything until you're 17. What age was you, Jim? I was just 16 then. So you just left school? No, I was still at school. I stayed on to do hires and lowers, A levels. Well, all right, I'm going to say what are they? <laughs> I presume that you were a Rangers supporter growing up. Then did you follow any team uh, in England, or was it just Rangers in your family? It was still in Albion and Rangers. The village forced you to support Rangers, but we could go and see still in Albion play. And in fact, when I was four, by the time I was fourteen, the guy in the door at still in Albion was letting me go in because mm-hmm. uh, I'd done some evening training with him, and I think they must have said, "Look after this lad," you know. So I was getting, I was getting to see still in Albion free. So when did Manchester United come knocking for you? Tell us. Uh, what happened there in that story? Well, we played. We played. I was playing then a secondary juvenile football, which is under nineteen, I think. And uh, we played one game against our big rivals, really, Canvas Barron. They had a lot of injuries and didn't play the strongest team. And the guy, one of my mates, was playing for them, and we beat them seven-one. That was unheard of to beat. They were a good team, you know, but they had so many players missing. I think I scored a couple of goals. I'm not real sure, and I can't remember. And then I was talking to my mate afterwards. And I went to walk home. It's dark. I went to walk across the park to get uh, the bus home. And this this guy stopped me. He said, excuse, excuse me, you're Jim Ryan, aren't you? I said, yeah, yeah. So he turned out to be Matt Busby's stepbrother. And he invited me to come down to United. What, what was your thoughts then, Jim? Well, I had a couple of offers. Westbro- not offers, to go on trial to Westbrook. Yeah. And to Bradford. But of course, that was a different level, Manchester United. That was at that time they were a, an obvious cult team. They had all these young boys in the first team winning the leagues, and they'd ended the European Cup. It was just a, they had a magical name at that time. They were they were the most famous team in Scotland, the most famous English team in Scotland. You know, I couldn't believe them at first. Yeah, they said we'd like you to go down and trial for a week. Did you did you ever get get to see any English football, Jim? Well, I, I came here on the Wednesday night. Trained on Thursday morning at the cliff. Completely, I didn't know what, what was going on really, you know. Uh, did that. Played a game on Saturday. Didn't play very well. Played quite poorly, I think. And they had another trialist who was, I was an inside forward then. And he played, he'd scored two goals or three goals, something like this, you know. His name was Campbell. And I thought, well, that's it. It's gone because yeah. he'll sign this guy. He's a goal scorer. I didn't think he was a particularly good player. But he scored the goals and I thought, well, he must be one of these people that just score goals all the time. Yeah. So I left the, the cliff, and we played at the cliff, and I got the bus out to Main Road. Arsenal were playing Manchester City. So I went and went in to watch that? it. Paid to go in. What year is this, Jim? This is 63, 62, I think. 62. 62, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. What did you dad say about United? The link with United, yeah. Was well, it, you know, he was okay with that. Yeah, he was okay with that. He sent you back. Also, in a mining village, football's the main thing, you know. They don't yeah. talk about anything else. So if they talk about Rangers, Celtic, sometimes still in Albion, you know, the next thing afterwards is liable to be English football because it's 
it's big, you know. And at that time, a lot of them used to talk about uh, the Busby Babes, other young young players, you know. That I'd... yeah. And Jim, because you come from such a small a small village or a small town, did they get to know that you was heading towards United, or was it in the papers that you'd gone down there for a trial? Or I think there was something in the papers, the evening papers, about me going. So down. you'd have been talk of the town then. I don't know. I can't really remember back then. No. <laughs> I just know I was excited. You know, I thought. Yeah. I liked English football. When uh, when you got down, how did you um, how did you cope with the accent change? Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing changes. It sounds like Maisie's jokes. Nothing changes. Oh yeah, that was a, a, it. Was exciting for me to go down to England. I think I'd been down there once, Halifax. I've got some relative in in Halifax, and we'd visited them, so I knew a little bit about Halifax. In fact, if you know a little bit about Halifax, you know a lot about it. <laughs> It was um, a big excitement. I was excited about it, you know. Who, who greeted you when you walked, walked through the Aston doors at the cliff? John Aston. Compton. Right, yeah. Johnny Aston. Do you remember John? No. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I remember him, but I remember Jack Moore, yeah. They met me at the, at the train station. So, Jim, you signed in 62, mm. but only after Sir Matt ignored uh, doctor's advice and report about you, right? Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, that was a really weird thing because I came down and I went to see, on the first day I was here, I played so poorly in the morning, I thought they'll just send me home now. So I went out to Main Road and, and watched Arsenal play. That was a fantastic game, 4-2 for Arsenal. I was a bit sick by them because I thought, well, that's a chance to go. This would be a good place to come, you know. But in the event, they told the lad, the other lad who scored the goals that they didn't want to take him. And uh, they asked me to stay on for another month or something. And... Uh, I started to really enjoy life there, down the, down the cliff. Where did you stay, Jim? I stayed in Stretford, not far from the ground, just round the back there. What, in a hotel or was it in um, no, someone Diggs. else? In Diggs. Yeah, I was in Diggs with Willie Anderson. Do you remember Willie? Mm-hmm. He lives in Portland now. He's on the radio in Portland. So. Right. He was a Liverpool, he was a Liverpool lad. Mm. Most unusual. It wasn't unusual then because we had two or three of them. And he travelled. He travelled home at the weekends usually, but then the rest of the week we knocked about together. What was that like living in Diggs, coming on, coming from on, Scotland? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw back a second. Why was it? Because uh, I wanted to get the story. Why was it a doctor said that you oh, yeah. you wouldn't be able to make it, and then Sir Matt Busby said, "No, you will." Well, after uh, whatever the time was, three weeks or something. Some of the lads were saying, "Oh, they'll offer you a contract now," because I started to play really well actually. So, oh, you'll be okay now, you know. But I was still nervous going to see that they sent me for a medical. So I goes in and he does all this. And then he, he says, right, I've got some bad news for you. So I thought, what? Well, well. He says, you don't have the lung capacity to play football. And I'd never thought about lung capacity, you know. Yeah, no. no. And so he says, uh, I'm advising you to give up now. He says, I think you've got some A-levels on you. I says, yeah, but he says, uh, you better to take up a different profession because you won't never be able to play football today to that level. Wow. So I had to get from there back home. I just felt, I felt dizzy, you know. I, felt, I just couldn't believe it. Because all I'd done all my life is play football. Maybe it was a lack of oxygen getting to your brain because you didn't have the <laughs> lung capacitor. I left the brain back in Scotland. <laughs> didn't bring it with me. That's mental though, isn't it? So the, I mean, what was the test for that then, Jim? He did a lot of tests. I have to say he did a lot of tests. He had my chest breathe in yeah. and breathe out and... I know they took blood blood things. The sort of normal things, I imagine, you know? Yeah. Except for this one thing. So 
I came back home, and by that time, Willie Anderson was saying, oh, they'll offer you a contract. They're going to give you a contract. I know that. So oh, I was great. But when it came to the bit, I thought, they're not going to take me now because I don't have this long capacity thing. Three days went past, and then I got a message to come up to see Mr. Busby. So I goes up, goes in to see him. I just I felt like crying, you know, because I thought he's going to tell me you can never be a footballer. And that was all I'd ever done since I was little, you know. Mm. Anyway, he goes down and he says, well, we're offered this contract and this will be the, you'll have a sign-on fee of this. And uh, I'm thinking, surely he's going to tell me that that's what you've missed. You're not going to get any of He finishes telling me the, the money and everything, you know, 14 or 15 quid a week, something like that. And I'd have to work hard, the usual sort of things, you know. I was an amateur. I had to be an amateur at first until my birthday. And then I, then they could offer me professional one. So I was an amateur who just got expenses. That was your salary in disguise. <laughs> I'm, I'm going through this conversation with Busby. And first of all, he makes me nervous anyway. He's just so famous, you know. So I'm thinking, I'm waiting for him to say it. And then he says, uh, at the very end, he picks up the paper. He says, oh, this is from the, the doctor. He says, don't worry about that. <laughs> Put it in the bin. <laughs> was it from the club doctor as well? Like the doctor that the club had used? It was the doctor. It wasn't the club doctor. It no. was a guy in All Saints. It was All Saints down in, in, in town. Right. I had to go to his clinic. So, but the club room. had sent you there? Yeah. And then Sir Matt just said, no, don't worry about it anyway. He said, don't worry about it. But I'd, of course, for two days, I felt like jumping off the... Yeah. <laughs> I was just so, so down, you know. It'd be amazing if that happened now and you, you heard a player failed a medical and they still signed them. I know, yeah. I don't know how much of this. He says just my lung capacity wasn't enough. Have you ever thought about that since, Jim? Do you ever worry about your lung capacity <laughs> since that day? Well, he's 75 yeah. now. He's done all right, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for an offer for it. <laughs> no, it was... Uh, what was good about this in a funny way was my mate, Willie um, Anderson, said to me, Oh, you're, you're sure to offer you a contract? They're absolutely certain. He was training every day with me. And a couple of other lads says, oh, you don't have to worry about that. You know, you'll be all right. Which tells me I was playing quite well in the training yeah. and stuff, you know. And uh, that was like an unexpected bonus after I found out they were going to offer me a contract. I was going to play. That I'm thinking, walking back to the Diggs, which is about 300 yards from Old Trafford, I'm thinking, oh, I've been playing pretty well. The lads keep saying how well I'm doing. That <laughs> <laughs> was... Uh, it was a nice time in my life. It was, that was just a bit of a shock that when he told me, I felt like crying. What was your uh, What was your What was your parents' reaction to that, knowing that you're going to sign for United? Oh yeah, well, they were made up, you know. They were. So did they come displeased. down? Did they come down to visit you when, no, when you I were signing? To, I, now, what I had to do was they asked me to stay on. I was supposed to stay a week, and asked me if I'd stay on for another two weeks. And I'd finished the schoolwork by that by then, yeah. and so uh, I could do it. And I think then, that was when I started to play quite well in training. I think it was more confidence I was there. Yeah. Understanding the way those English boys talked, that was the major thing, you know. It was nothing like English, was it? They were, they were just um, unfathomable. <laughs> At least you could understand Sir Matt, though. I could understand him, <laughs> That was yeah, most yeah. important. <laughs> what was he like um, for you going down as a young Scottish player? Yeah, I used he used to frighten me, not not by something he said, just in case I'd done something wrong, you know. He called me in once for, he gets me in his little room 
I hear you've been going into town, into town a lot. Right? Now, I didn't drink till I was about 21 or 22. He <laughs> says, and he says to me, you've been drinking. And I felt like, I tried to say, oh, I, never, I don't drink, but I couldn't get it in. So he gave me, he gave me the telling off, thinking that I'd, I was a drinker as well. I said, oh, God. <laughs> Should I just tell him I don't drink? No. So, Jim, you were a Busby babe. Yeah. Uh, what was it like at that time with the players, Law, Best, Charlton, incredible, um, yeah. that era of players? What was it like for you going down and joining them? Just a difficult to get into the team. <laughs> George was the same age as me, or I think he was a year younger or something. I'm not sure. There wasn't much between us. And he gets in the first team. He got in the first team after a reserve team game when he had a bit of a nightmare. And I was trying to cheer him up on the bus going back. I think we played somewhere like Bolton or somewhere, I don't know, in the 18. Next week he was in the... I'm starting to console him. Don't worry, you've done all right. You played with <laughs> Next time he's, he's running past the West Bromwich Albion throwback. That was... It, the whole thing was... When I look back on it, it was really exciting. And it wasn't just me going to that club, such a famous club. It was also the fact that uh, they started to come back from the Munich Air disaster. They almost got relegated the first year I was there. Mm. And then from there, they just turned the corner and they won the cup, the league, and then the league again, and then the European Cup. So it was like a period of winning things. And that was just a great thing for the lads who were there. You know, it'd be nice to be playing at the first team at the time, but <laughs> I was, by that time I'd had a, a bad slump in form and I thought I might be leaving the club. We can probably touch on this when we get further along in your career with the club, but do you think your role as someone who was sort of in the fringes of the first team, who was in the in the youth team, do you think that affected the role and the way you took on your role later? Oh, yeah, experience tells you some things. And you also, everybody has their own opinion about who's a good player and who's not a good player, and who's the character and who's no character, who's, you know, you've got all this as your player. And uh, I was no different from anybody else I knew I could instinctively tell that George was a good player. <laughs> uh, but I didn't have to be an expert to do that, did you? It was a great, it was an exciting time for me. The, the fact that I was down at Manchester, who had this fantastic reputation for playing young players, who had been in this bad accident, who had started European football in England. I mean, they were, it was a fantastic image they had, you know? Especially for somebody from Scotland. They went in against they went in against the league's wishes, didn't they, to play in the European Cup? Yeah. yeah it tells you something about Busby. He saw the future and he wouldn't be deflected from it. Even with that bad accident, they went on and he was he said that European football he didn't say it to me, but I'm, I know he must have been saying it. European football is the way. And he was right. Of course it was. Look at it now. Do you think that was one of his great skills that he had the foresight to see things like that? Yeah, a visionary. Somebody told me, and I'm not sure if it's 100% right, but somebody told me that he had relatives in America and in the season 62 or 63, he went over to visit them in the summer and he went to a, a baseball game. And in the baseball game, they had a dining room that you could go and sit and eat. And when he came back from America, he put it to the board that they should start putting in restaurants at the top and this may be um, hearsay, but this is what I heard. that He was the man behind it who was putting these restaurants in the top. No other club would, was doing it in, in England. 
And uh, so people were coming up, going up to the thing, eating eating food at the table, not a hamburger or something, you know. And it was it was what I'd seen in America. That was how they did things. He came back and got it all going. It's remarkable. Yeah, well, he was remarkable. Don't worry about that. He was. What what way was he was he different with you? Do you think because you had that Scottish link? Oh, he was. Listen, I couldn't complain about anything he ever said to me. In fact. Oh. Hang on. Come on, Jim. That's a fine. <laughs> Good. That's a two weeks fine. What was I going to tell you, sir? Oh, yeah, yeah. Later on, uh, after I went to America and came back and played in Middleton, my son was a Man United fan by this time. So I brought him back. He wanted to go to look around the stadium. So I phoned Ken Merritt. He says, can I, can I come in and take my lad around Old Trafford? He's a Man United fan. He says, yeah, no problem. Come in. Come to the office at such and such, 10 o'clock or something. Yeah? So we drive down, go down. Ken Merritt's there, Ken Ramsden. How are you? Yeah, they, they all remember me from before, you know. Yeah, what you do? I'm not doing anything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what you I just want to show the light round, the ground. As we're getting ready to go out, the door opens. And who's there? Matt Busby. Jim Ryan, how are you? And I could not believe that he knew my name. All the players he has coming through, I played for six years or something, five or six years, and it was quite a while ago. What are you doing? I says, oh, how, boss, uh, I just brought my lad in to look, show him around the ground. Well, let's do it then. <laughs> so he gets, he goes out. He takes me around the ground. Me, me, and my son Neil and Matt Busby. And Neil's a crazy United fan. You know, he's, they're just names in the book that he saw in America. You know, suddenly you've got this guy who's an obvious legend walking around talking to him. And you know, let's go and have a cup of tea. Goes and gets a cup of tea made. And they sit and have a cup of tea. And I think maybe that was Buzz, one of Busby's things. He knew how to treat people and what you know the right things to do. That was, I think, that memory will probably stick with my lad all his life. You know, he was going in with his United scarf, and he was, I think, he was about nine or ten or something. I don't know. Just back from America, you know. <laughs> yeah. Pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, that's incredible. But it tells you something about Busby. Yeah, you know that tells you something. I can't remember who I was speaking to yesterday. <laughs> Busby knew my name. I think. I think, Jim. That's where Sir Alex gets his try from. Well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're so similar, and everything you're saying there is. Yeah. Is so much how the gaffer is. That's what I was just going to say, you amazing. They, they were different temperaments. Yeah. But the same kind of thing, you know. Yeah. How to look after people. They knew what to do. Well, it's interesting, Jim, because when we we spoke to uh, Brian Robson uh, on the first episode of this podcast series. And he told us a story about how when he was sat at the cliff, they were sat at a table and there was a youth team player, I think. And Sir Alex came in and in front of everybody had a, had a big go at him and said, you've been out drinking. I've heard you've been out drinking. What have you been doing? So then he made him go off and get him a cup of tea. He said, go and get me a cup of tea. So the player goes and gets him a cup of tea. Brian Robson says to Sir Alex, so has he really been out drinking? So I says, no, I have no idea. I just want to just want to keep that fit. <laughs> so, and that sounds very similar to your story with some app. Must be a Scottish thing, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple of runners with some Matt, right? And it was this. He, he pulls me into the referee's room. Do you remember the referee's The little referee's room. That was when you knew you were in trouble. Come in. Mm-hmm. I goes in with him. So he stood there and he talked to me and he talked the slowest, quietest voice. That's no good for you. You need to see all like this, you know. But in a little way. And by the end of it, I was feeling so bad. 
that I'd let them down. You know, it wasn't it wasn't I was getting a fucking awful, but it's just like you know, he just kept speaking to me. No, you've got to be doing the right things. And all this, and I'm thinking, I'm sorry, boss. I'll never do it again. <laughs> Even though you've done nothing wrong. And it was obvious he'd, he'd handled so many players. You know that he knew what maybe what was required. You know, I just wish I'd said to him, I don't drink beer, boss. I don't drink beer yet, so I've not been drinking. Well, I didn't have the nerve to even say it, you know. <laughs> All right, give me a bit. Jim, did you feel like there was something special at that time? Obviously, um, you were part of the team that went on to win the European Cup. People were talking about the Busby Babes. Did you feel that at that time? Oh, yeah, I could, you could sense it, I think, you know. I played in one of the games, that, the European Cup games, you know. That's what I think you sensed, that they were heading for this European Cup. They were going to get it, you know. You just thought, they were, they were the, the year before, they had a bit of bad luck, I think, or something. But this was, uh, they were on the way, you know. The surprise for me was, nobody used to talk about the air crash, which was 10 years, almost exactly 10 years. Yeah. Nobody talked about it going to Wembley or, go, you know, nobody said, well, this is, the, and I thought, why don't they talk? Why not? Nobody mentions it, you know. Why do you think that was, Jim? I don't know. I just think maybe... Too painful, probably. Yeah, yeah. it comes through. Busby was still there. Bobby was, you know, had been in it. I think it was a kind of respect that they were going to play the game without any of that. Yeah. What about when um, February would come around each year, Jim? Would would the memorials be similar to that we see today? Not as big, I don't think. They just. In fact, I'm not sure that they... That they necessarily celebrated in a way, you know. People knew it was that day. This was the day of the crash and stuff. But I don't think it was till quite a bit later that they started to do a special thing for it, you know. Mm. And again, do you think that's probably because so many people that were involved were still at the club and I think I think so. And I think there was people walking about in the car park and stuff, uh, older people who were crying, you know. You'd see them in the afternoon or they were in tears, you know, in their eyes. So I think, I mean, it had a tremendous effect on the supporters, especially the older people, I think. This was their this was their team, young boys, putting these young boys into the first division and winning the leagues and stuff, you know. It was a great thrill for the United fans. It must have been tremendous. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the journey to that 68 Cup because you, you actually got a medal, but you weren't part of the final squad on the day, but you did play in the run-up uh, to yeah. the final. I didn't realise that would have got me a medal. Uh, the players got their medals. I was quite happy. In fact, yeah, I was over the moon with it, winning the European Cup. It's brilliant. No? Yeah. Then we came in for training one day in the gym. We're playing a game and uh, Busby arrives with, I think it might have been Jimmy Murphy. Will. He stops the training and he calls me over, John Fitzpatrick and... I think there was maybe four of us who had been involved and he had four medals and gave us up in the in the cliff in the training ground. Wow. I didn't I know something. I, they gave me this little box and I thought it was like a consolation, you know, like a, a memory that you were part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking at that, you know, and then I opened it up and I'm looking for uh, and then I realised it's an actual medal. <laughs> it's one of the medals. We played. I'd played one of the games. Fitzy had played in another, and I don't know if it was Jimmy Rimmer or somebody who I can't remember who got the other one. But it was uh, 
it was kind of out of the blue. They didn't say you're getting a medal or something, you know. They just came to the training, walked in, stopped everybody, called them all in, you know. This is for the lads who, so he called me out. But like I say, I got it in the box like this, and I thought this will be a sort of homemade memorial, you know. This is you were part of it. <laughs> yeah. you know? Did he make a little speech at that time for you? He, he just said about yeah, this this is this is for the lads who were. I don't know what he said about it. Some something I hadn't played the squad or something, you know. Yeah. And I think he said some other things, and then he called us out, gave us a. But when I opened it up, this is a European Cup winners medal. <laughs> that was it. You still got your medal? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it with your 99 one, Jim? Because you actually have two European Cup medals. Well, I was going to say, I've got a collection of medals. European Cup, two European, a European Cup back in 68, then the European Cup when I was with the manager here. 99. I've got about five or six medals that are precious. <laughs> what was the elation like uh, winning uh, the 68 one for the team and the club? Well, that was, I found that a bit strange because it seemed that nobody was mentioning the fact that we were 10 years from the from the mm-hmm. disaster. From the crash, yeah. You'd think they would be speaking about it, you know, but nobody said a word, you know. And then, you know, you, you're different times, you're in the bus travelling somewhere with them, you're sitting beside them, sat beside, say, Bobby, for example, Shea Brennan, who knew all those players before. I never... I never talked to anybody about that that air disaster that had happened ten years before, and it was bugging me a bit. I'm thinking, why does nobody mention it? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking maybe it'd be a good motivation. You could say it's exactly ten years, mm-hmm. but and then maybe they talk privately to themselves, but nobody said. I never heard anybody talk about it. Ten years, exact, almost exactly, wasn't it? You have to say it's one of the um, fantastic things about football that's happened. That, that that all came together, that Busby building a second team. It's incredible. And winning it, you know. But you must be so proud that you're part of that, Jim. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, of course I was, yeah. And besides which, you you make friends all the time, you know. I still keep in touch. Who were you closest to in the squad at that time? Well, there was, I, I used to hang about with Fitz, John Fitzpatrick and, uh, and also John Aston, who was... Um, in the team, he was he was sort of in the same place I was trying to play. I was also very friendly with a lad who didn't play called Bobby Noble. He was a fantastic left back, tough as nails, you know, a bit dirty, great left foot, great right foot. He looked like he was going right to the top, you know, got in the first team. I got on well, he came from Moss Side, he was he was a tough lad, you know. But for some reason he didn't like playing against me. He used to say we play practice games, say hey, you. Just take it easy today, right? <laughs> for some reason, he was... And I know, I think I know what it was because I wouldn't commit myself to try to go past them. I just kept running at them, you know, and he's waiting for... Go on. He's had a lot of bad luck since then. He was injured in a car crash the, the night we won the league at Sunderland. Oh, wow. We went to play up Sunderland and that won us the league. We came back to Manchester and we were going out for drinks. Bobby had a triumph held. He drives up beside us. It's one o'clock in the morning. We're just back from Sunderland. He drives up beside us. This will this will suit you, Maisie. This is the sort of thing I'd expect from you. Cheers, <laughs> mate. Bobby drives up beside us on the road up from the, the chippy there. You know, he, he Bobby drives up beside us. We're John Fitzpatrick, me, and somebody else are in this car. 
So we're going, we're going to uh, go into town. So Bobby pulls up, lads, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to go to town, Bobby, come with us. No, he goes, he reaches over, he goes, as he opens the door, he bangs the door about three times against, against John Fitzpatrick's car. <laughs> <laughs> bang, bang, bang. And he thought, anyway, he, had, he was in an accident that time. He never played again. That night or that night. just... Yeah. Really? Wow. But he wasn't drunk. He, he was in the accident around about two o'clock. We read about it all the same, you know. So an hour earlier, he's banging his door banging against your car. Having a laugh with us because we just won the league, you know. Yes, you got like this, you know. And then a, an hour later, he's in a car crash. Oh, my God. Um, there is one story I want to ask you about, Jim, as well. You went and asked Sir Matt for a pay rise. Is that right? Yeah. How did that go? Not very well. Not very good, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard when the guy finds you, you know. It's like I say with him, he's, he's softly spoken. And yet when he when he gives you the slightest thing that he's disappointed with you, you feel like, oh, dear, oh, dear, you know. But this was not really my bag. This is a story. <laughs> they decided to go to America. This is the year before they won the European Cup. Celtic, the year before, had gone to America and did a tour. So we were going, having not just America, but we were having a world tour. They sit, put some money in the bank for us for bonuses. We got an extra bonus. It wasn't the bonus we were due. We already had that. This was extra money because, I think because we'd gone to America or whatever. So the first team got, I don't know, a lot, two grand, three grand, eight, something like that. We got, I think it was 100 quid. Now, this is back in those days. I was made up. Oh, unbelievable, 100 quid. Plus, we got these new raincoats and all this stuff that we had to go. So we get on the plane and we're off. And John Fitzpatrick, I've got a picture of him here. He's in the plane. He, get, he calls me up. Come, come, come down here and sit beside me. So he's sitting down here. What is it? He says, well, he says, you played one game in the European Cup and eight league games or nine league games. He says, I played the one game but got my knee hurt and I didn't play for the rest of the season. He's saying, we should get the same bonus as the first team. I says, ah, oh, maybe so, yeah. We sit in the, we get on the plane from New York and go to San Francisco. And he says to me, right, let's get a hold of the boss and tell him. Now, Fitzy was a, a lad like this. He always told you he was going to see the boss. I'm not playing in the A team. I'm going to see the boss. And off he would go. But he, I don't think, and don't believe he ever actually went there. <laughs> right? But you're always there. I'm going to go. And, so I'm on the plane. I'm thinking, well... All right, Pitsy can try and get some extra money for us. That'd be nice. So we get to the hotel and we check in and we go up to the rooms and now Fitzy comes along. Right, shall we go and see the boss now? I said, okay, go ahead, you. I never spoke to Buzz, but he, he talked. The way he talked, you think he spoke to him all the time, you know? I told the boss I want to play in midfield. All this sort of thing, you know? But, well, he, I never spoke to Buzz, I avoided him. So we go along to his room. Yeah, who is it? Fitzy goes, it's John Fitzpatrick and Jim Ryan, boss. All right, just a minute. So he comes, and he's obviously been having a nap because long journey, you know. So we go in, and I'm thinking, now, just let Fitzy handle the whole thing. He says, yes, boys, what is it? So Fitzy goes like this, turns to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I hadn't even thought I was speaking to him. I thought, I've heard Fitzy before. (laughs) He just gives him stick, you know, I'm going to tell him. You tell him, Jim. Yeah, it was left. <laughs> so Busby goes, does this, of course. He goes to John. He looks at John. John's looking at me, so he looks at me. 
you know, she, she doesn't <laughs> read to me, tell her. And I'm thinking, I don't want, I don't want to be part of this. <laughs> so then I've got to, I've not even thought of what to say. So then I've got to stumble through it, you know, like, well, we have put the bonuses where for the, we couldn't help thinking that maybe it was a, oh, that was it. You know, and I, I even felt terrible saying it. <laughs> so he goes, now tell me, did you, did you get a bonus from the, the directors? That was the hundred quid we got. Yeah. I says, yeah. He says, did they have to pay you that? No. And he's talking to me as if it's me that's caused it all, you know? <laughs> so he goes through the whole thing. He, he just tore us to shreds, you know? And he goes to Fitzy. Fitzy wouldn't say a word. All this talk about seeing the boss and telling him this and telling him that. He never said a word, honestly. <laughs> right? So at the end of it, is that, is that finished now? No, no. No, no. Oh, is it coming back? You're still there, pal. How do you? I don't know how you get this back. Can you hear us, Jim? I can hear you all right, yeah. Oh, have you just lost the picture? Oh, there you are, back. Oh, good. So where was it? Oh, yeah. So as we're going, he says, well, you should be thankful that give us a lecture, you know. So, oh, dear. so we turn and go out the door. And as we go out the door, Fitz is a complete bumpkin because he goes to me, I'm going to ask the boss if we can get a cut in our wages. <laughs> like this. He'd make a joke of it. Yeah. You know? And I was like, myself, speaking to Bosman. So Fitz here, then he goes, and then he tells everybody, all the players, that what I was saying to him. He said, and I thought it was Fitzy going to be the one who did it all. Unbelievable. Stitch your eye up. So you you regret that? <laughs> nightmare. Absolute nightmare. So I've no doubt Busby's opinion of me wasn't that good. Oh. <laughs> but Jim, whose decision was it um, for you to leave the club eventually when you went to Luton? Oh, I think it was it was mine. I, I got an offer, I had a, an offer the year before to go to Bristol, Bristol City. I didn't really want to leave United. That was the main thing, you know. But the guys who came to see me, I didn't take to them very well. They were two scouts or something, you know. I didn't sort of latch up. I didn't like, I didn't like them very much. I hate to say that, but they're probably just doing their jobs, you know. Mm. Three or four days later, Busby asked me, well, did I want to go? And I says, no. He says, okay, that's good. So I stayed an extra year. But I think it's a year too many for me, for my career. Because I was only, I'd only played about 30 games or something for, for the first team. And loads of substitutes. Because it became, I think, uh, a team that won the league was a, I think they considered it to be a lucky team. So they picked the same people all the time. So I was constantly travelling with the first team, but only rarely coming on. I should probably have gone the year before. But the good thing about it was I ended up going to a really good club. Luton's a great little club. So it was great to me. It was, you know, we got promotion after about three or four seasons to the first division. And that was, um, just as United got relegated. So you thought, I'll play against United again at Old Trafford? Yeah, I wanted to play off. against them. And not to prove anything, I didn't think that, just be- yeah, because... just for the moment. The affection was there for the club. It was to do with affection. I liked mm-hmm. it, you know, I loved it when I was there. That was what I missed. I'd like to have met them and played against them and they could have walloped us four, five, six, nothing. It'd be immaterial to me. Just the fact of going back to Old Trafford and playing would have been mm-hmm. great, but... They went down and we came... And the following year, we went down and they, they came up. <laughs> <laughs> so you never it's actually played again? They were trying to dodge. They didn't fancy <laughs> playing against me. Away from you. Stay away They're from scared, me, Jim scared of you, Jim. Scared of you, Jim. tear us apart. <laughs> As Maisie said there, did you actually ever play against them in the... Was it six years or so you were there? Yes. Did you ever, 
You did. We went. We put, I went and played in America for a while. Mm-hmm. And one of their friendly games, United came to, to Dallas oh. and played against them. Oh, amazing! Well, it wasn't funny for that though. It's funny for the horses. We had to come on in a horse because we were Dallas Cowboys. What? what? <laughs> we came on horses. <laughs> it's American boy, you know. You came on the pitch on a horse. <laughs> yeah, we stood at the back like this, and they announced the teams. Manchester United and they said the players you know now you're Dallas Tornado and the goalie comes out in a horse you know they've got they've got girls there leading the horse yeah, you know yeah. out to the middle so they're leading them out like this you know I'm on the horse I've never been on a horse well I've been a couple of times but nothing <laughs> so it comes my turn to go out the girl takes me out to the middle right takes me out to the middle and the horse starts to buck no yeah <laughs> and, then, and then it spins round and she's got a hold of it <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this is true. Did that happen every game, Jim? No, no, it was a one-off. No, no, just United. this one. Oh, right. It was a one-off. Oh, okay. We had some, we had some cowboy hats on or something as well, you know. <laughs> the theme was cowboys, you know. So um, this horse starts to spin round, and the girl can't seem to stop it, you know. So I thought, right, I'm going to jump off this. So I got one foot out. And I jumped off the girl off the horse. <laughs> Right, got a few nutcases applauding in the audience as well. <laughs> they must have thought it was fixed, you know, is what he was going to do. Anyway, when I jump off, I just tweak my groin. Right, nah. this is before the game, <laughs> you know, and I could feel it. So I yeah. played the game against United with this uh, little tweak in my groin, you know, and I think, but I think it was a draw. We drew it. Brilliant. What was the what did the lads say to you? What were there? Yeah, they changed a lot since I was there. Yeah, but what did the ah oh, right? Yeah, but even so, Jim must you know, have you, still you, been laughing you, that you came out in the horse, Jim. What the what's going on here? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they were taking the p- out of me. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't so much that. Mine was the only horse that spun round. <laughs> <laughs> and this was your big moment to play against Manchester United, and you came out in a horse. <laughs> well, this was the one out. Yeah, I'll play against United. I don't care if it's a friendly. I just want to be able to go and play, you know. <laughs> oh, brilliant! brilliant. I jump off that horse, and then I felt my groins tweak like this. <laughs> what an injury, Jim! <laughs> at that time in America, there was a lot of players moving over from England, so you must have actually played against a lot of your former teammates. Did you play against former teammates in that league? Yeah, I played against Luton players. I left Luton to go to America, so when I left, I think about three other players asked if they could leave as well. A couple went to Minnesota. We had somebody who went out to the West Coast. I can't remember who it was. How come you picked America? No, I kind of wanted to go. We got promoted to the first division. And in the last game of the season, we got relegated, you know, and we weren't bottom, we were third bottom. So it was hard lines that we'd done it, you know. But I'm th- I just started to think maybe it's time to leave Luton. And I liked the club. And this thing had come up about America. And I lived in the Bedfordshire countryside near a place called, um, it was American... Uh, camp American uh, base camp thing you know so it was full of Americans and they'd asked me to come and present their uh, their kids with the prizes football the soccer kids you know I had to come out and give them their, their presents and stuff so I knew the lads there you know so I went to see them and they, they said yeah, you should go to Dallas they said to me go to Dallas he says everybody's moving south in America so Chicago was a team that wanted me to go I just say on those lads' advice, you know, go go to uh, go and play in Dallas in the sun. Sounds lovely. And then you went to the Wichita Wings. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether they went to that one or not. <laughs> well, we, we, well, we can do, Jim. I just, I just want to ask you. 
about playing against Pele. Sorry, Jim. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first game, when I flew over, I flew over on a Thursday, went to Dallas and had to play on a Saturday. So they said you're stressing the Friday and somebody will pick you up on Saturday. It's a friendly against New York Cosmos. So I says to Pelly's not playing, is it? He says, yeah. <laughs> so that was me then. I was, you know, that was just different class. So I went out and that was the first game in America. That's pretty amazing. Oh, it's fantastic. Was George Best out there at the same time as you then? He was at the same time, but he... I was there a couple of years before him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know exactly when he came over. Did you get to play against him, Jim? George, yeah, we played, I yeah. played two games against him. Wow. What was that like catching up with him? Well, it was, it was nice. It, it was funny in a way because um, we played out there, and his girlfriend, that blonde, I can't remember her name. Miss World One, Two, Three. <laughs> anyway, we played the game in Los Angeles. So I was talking to him after the game. Oh well, I says anyway. I'll see you when you come to Dallas. You're due to come to Dallas in three weeks. Something's quite close, you know. I says, I'll come round to the... Just put them in the same hotel all the time at Hilton, near the stadium. I'll come round and see you the night before, George. So it goes round. Is George Best here? Just a minute. So she pages him. No, no. Then she sends a boy round the tables. No, there. It's funny. The night before the game, a bit late. It's about nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just go. and I'll see him tomorrow, you know. As I'm getting going towards the door, there's some stairs going down. I can hear voices at the bottom of the stairs. So it goes down, and it's a, it's the Los Angeles team. George is there, and so is what's the, the kid that came from City, who went out there with George. I knew them. I knew George and him, and uh, the players are pissed. The players are absolutely pissed, legless, <laughs> and they're playing the uh, Cardinal Puff. Do you know that game? Yeah. Do you know? I'll drink to the health of Cardinal Puff for the first time. It's a drinking game. Yeah, if you want a reference to this, I'm sure if you YouTube, they, it's uh, it's featured in an episode of Dad's Army, so you can probably YouTube that scene and you'll get a reference to what this game is. But it's repetition. To, and if you if you fail at the repetition, then you have, you to, have to drink, drink your drink. And start yeah. again. Yeah, which obviously makes it harder to complete the repetition. So it's about eight o'clock at night and I go downstairs. They're, absolute, they're all absolute legacy, except Bobby McAlinden was the Manchester boy. He he didn't drink anything, you know. The rest were pissed. They couldn't say anything else about it. They were pissed. <laughs> He's singing this song, you know, drink to the health of Cardinal Todd for the first, for the second, for the third time. You know? And and as soon as they've done that, they've got to drink it all down because they've not got something wrong, you know. <laughs> so George was a bit more sober than the rest, you know. So I'm talking to him, Bob, how you, how you enjoying it, you know. So I'm getting ready to go and I'm looking and I'm and we're told don't drink alcohol before the night before the game because in the heat of Dallas it dehydrates you very quickly. I'm getting ready to go and I thought, well, George, I'm gonna tell you now it's it's really hot here. And he goes to me, Yeah, it's hot in Los Angeles. And I thought, yeah, but it's not the same kind of heat as here. <laughs> this is this is the heat in Dallas was if you came in the tunnel to walk out to run under the pitch, but you got Time you got to the bottom of the tunnel, you had a dark, wet patch on your shirt. It was so hot, it was unbelievable. So we ended up we beat them something like five two, you know. And the two goals were scored by George when he suddenly sprung to life at the end, dribbled past three people and scored, you know. He got hydrated in time then. The rest of them were just it was it was three 0 after like fifteen minutes or something. Mm-hmm. They run out in the pitch and it was like it's like a being in a it was like playing in a sauna. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's not an exaggeration. 
when you came down the tunnel, you could feel it hit you like a, you know, Los Angeles is much more, it's warm, but it's not yeah. that kind of heat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's hot in Los Angeles. It's not, it's not, it's not compared to this. Did George's talent still, obviously he was, was he about 27 when he went to America, George? But his talent was obviously, even though maybe his personal life was going a little bit rocky with the alcohol and stuff, was his talent still there on the pitch at that time? Well, at that time, supposedly he'd stopped drinking. Now, I just heard it as a rumour sort of thing, you know, that he wasn't drinking at all. Because I hadn't, I hadn't played against him yet in Los Angeles. I was looking forward to playing against him, you know. And seeing him again, not playing against him, just. And then they were saying, "Well, he's not, he's not drinking, and he's training hard." And, and he's funny, like it's five nil with fifteen minutes left, and George suddenly dribbled past four men and scored. <sighs> Kicked off again after four or five minutes, dribbled past four or five men and scored again. You know, and the the, the American lads that I played with over there used to always ask me about players. You know, who's the best players now? this, you know, and I'd say to them. George is easily the best player. I don't know how fit he is. <laughs> but they were after me after the game, you know. They introduced me to George Best going because they had an <laughs> after-match party, you know, in the hotel. And they all wanted to meet George Best then. They hadn't mentioned it to me before. So you played against Pele and played with George Best and against him? Pele had, apparently had requested to come and play against them. <laughs> is there any argument for you who was the best out of the two? Pele's got too much to compare, you know, a World Cup winner at 17 scored two goals in the final. You're talking mm. to a Northern Irish person here, Jim. It's easy to forget what he actually <laughs> did, you know. And I'm a bigger fan of George's than anyway. I'm not. And Perry did something in that game. That that game or so, I went and asked him before they kicked off, can I have your shirt after the game? He says, no, it goes to charity. All the shirts he wore were going to charity in America. And he did something here, Maisie. He's um, strong. Yeah. I didn't realise how strong he was. We played the game and they asked this lad from Liverpool he was, they told him to mark Pelly, just make sure he doesn't get the ball barber. This is an exhibition game, by the way. Yeah, All the yeah. fans have come to see Perry play. So the lad, he's from Liverpool, he trips him up. First time he beats him, he trips him up. And he, he committed fouls against them all the time. Right? That was his he wasn't a good enough player to stop him. Yeah. He's sort of cutting them down or he's pushing them over, you know. And I could see Perry was kind of losing the place about it. No, and I'm looking at Perry, look, look at this. This guy's yeah. unbelievable. So they went to play, and then I see him go like this, shaking his head to, to the lad, you know. No, no, no. And then he gets the ball, Perry, and he kicks it up, up in the air like this towards the guy who's marking, but he's running to meet him now, you know. He's running to close him down. Perry's got the ball at his feet. He plays it up in the air like this. So it hits him around about the chest, and he's running this way. And as he does it, Perry lifts his right foot up to chest high. He meets him right in the stomach like this. The guy's running this way. He just put his foot right in him. And he sat him down and he's after it. <laughs> I'm down in the, down in the grass. And uh, it was unbelievable. You couldn't believe the timing he had to do it. You know, it was like typical Perry thing. Yeah. Not only did he do it, he did it beautifully. You know, it was perfectly timed. <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the stomach, you know, the guy goes, all his hair comes out of him, you know. So Pele gets up then, he's standing over him like this, and the guy's winded and sore, you know. He goes like this, no more. He waved his finger like this, no more. <laughs> no more, right? <laughs> he was showing the guy that not only was he a better footballer, 
He was stuffing. him. He was stuffing. <laughs> like, look at his legs. They're like tree trunks. Yeah. But that was the that, that was one of the bonuses of playing in America. You play against George one day, Perry the next day. You know, I really enjoy enjoyed it. Brilliant. It is amazing. Um, before we get on to your coaching career, just very quickly. I'm going to come back because you escaped talking about the Wichita Wings, which were an indoor football team. That must have been a different experience. No, it worked out pretty good for me because typical kind of thing for me, I'm, I'm generally quite lucky. We played some indoor games as warm-ups in, in the winter. So we'd play five-a-side football, different places, Houston. And it turned out I could get a few goals. I was quite handy at it, you know. Then came the strike. The players had a strike. They were... They weren't getting treated properly, which was right. So we had we had meetings about, yeah, we're going to call a lightning strike. Are you all ready to come out when we call it? So, okay, yeah, everybody said, okay, yeah. And so come the day, the morning of the game, we were playing against uh, Seattle at home and they called the strike. The way it worked out, it was only me that came out on strike. Everybody else went in because they got threatened, you know. You will lose your, we'll keep your contract, you won't be able to. All this sort of thing, they're threatening you, you know. And it was a bit scary, to be honest, you know. Anyway, I thought, well, I can't really, I can't really go in. I'll have to stay on. So anyway, I, I was blacklisted. I was, well, I, I went on strike and I was on strike for maybe three weeks. The papers was quite good with me, you know. The, but the um, the time at the end of the season came, they let me go. Well, they didn't let me go, actually. Charlie Cook was coaching in Memphis then. And I knew I knew him a little bit, not great. He phoned me up and says, uh, you're a free tramp, you're a free agent, aren't you? Come and play for me. Oh, okay. So he, he made a deal with him that I could get home for uh, two weeks between the two seasons. Can you hear us, Jim? I can hear you, but I can't see anything. Move, move the mouse. I think it's just freezing a little Time bit. Time out. Yeah. 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 As if I've just fixed somebody's technical problem there. I know, I know. Amazing. <laughs> Not to drag this out, but I ended up a goal. Uh, it turns out he, he does a whole deal with me. Trip to Manchester, back and forth from me and my family, salary, bonuses, all this. Reds over the phone, does the whole thing, me and Charlie, Charlie Cook. I'm like, oh, it's brilliant. You know, this is, I'll be able to play out uh, indoors and then play outdoors again with them. He says, okay, I'm going to, he'll put the general manager on and he'll sort out, the, so he sorts out all the money, all the things, writes them all down. He says, I'll put this in a contract and send it off to you. And I never heard from him again. <laughs> and turned out I was black. I was blacklisted. Oh wow! Because I'd gone on strike. Oh, wow. uh, I did. Uh, I did read that on one of those trips back in between when you were still when you were playing in America, you had a trip back to the UK and you did your coaching badges, yeah. and that that was quite an experience. Fantastic! That was unbelievable. I went. They sent me to uh, Durham, and that was a place that wasn't as good as the uh, what's the one down in the Midlands. That was pretty oh, sure. Yeah. Well. Durham was not as good as that. And there was, they divided them into players, all players on one side, and then just ordinary guys, working guys, plumbers and all this, teachers and all this. And they obviously had been out of the country quite a while. They didn't recognise that I was actually had been a player or was still a player in America. So they put me in with all these guys who were like, oh, and I'll tell you what, the best time ever. They were unbelievable. And every one of them, they couldn't play. There wasn't one of them who could really play anything at all, you know. So the result was, this was when Princess Diane was getting married. It was an unbelievably hot summer. So what happened, once they seen that I could trap the ball, 
Mm. I could. That was every exercise I was in. So, right, they'd come up to me before, right, I want to do this, I've got to do this, should I do this? No, I'd say, well, no, if you put two men there, you might be, right, so off they go and they do that, you know, and after, they were great afterwards, they come, thanks very much for that. But it was every player, every guy who was doing the course came to me straight away then. Well, they were fantastic people, honestly. What a laugh I had with them was amazing, unbelievable. And it's a hot summer, so we had the two weeks up there. On the first weekend, we all went into Newcastle for a night out. And honestly, the, the team spirit amongst them, it was as good as any football team you'd be with. They were all for each other, you know, and great it was. Went to some nightclub in Newcastle and the usual thing with me and Miz, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you never bought a drink. Did you drink then, Jim? <laughs> I, never, I never bought one. Well. Deepest pockets, shortest arms, you. I don't know how did I get onto that. How did we get onto that? I was asking you about uh, the, your coaching badges. Oh, yeah. So I, I did the whole thing and got my badge then. They sent the confirmation of it. The guy told me, he said, you, oh, you've got that, all right. In fact, he came and says to me, I'm sorry, we put you in with a lot of... Uh, didn't realise you played, so they didn't know I'd played. That was it. Was there an incident with a sheep? Oh, it's uh, unbelievable. You could not get a comedy show that would make you laugh more. <laughs> we, this is the first day the guy doesn't know any of us, right? There's no idea who I am. That, well, he didn't know. There was no other players. They were all welders and teachers. And they had this, they, they said, well, we draw lots for who goes first. It's not fair, something. So put the number in. Go ahead, we'll reach in. So he gets this this guy who has actually was actually a welder and he's quite heavy, you know, overweight. He's not, you can't say he's really a footballer. He couldn't trap a bag of cement. Anyway, he's got to do a thing. He's got to slide, he's sliding the ball down the side. Now we're an agricultural farm and we're the last team. The others were up there. Pop Robson was in the other group up here. There's a fence and then there's a, a field full of sheep grazing and stuff, you know. So he says to him, he says he's got to do something that's playing it down the side, right? He he gets he tells the guy to do it, but he doesn't really do it very well. So now he's got to demonstrate. He's read the books, you demonstrate now, this is it. So he gets him, you pass the ball here, play it out to the right, to the right back. He's the right back, he's going to play it down the line. But he's playing it as it's coming across the glass, you know. <laughs> so he hits it like this and then gets one of them jobs and spins up in the air like that, right? It is at least the height of the goalpost. It goes over the fence where there's about 25 to 30 sheep grazing. It goes up and bounces and hits, hits one of the sheep with the head, right? <laughs> Which immediately jumps up and races around the thing, followed by all the other sheep. <laughs> and they go around. <laughs> and then I, I looked at the guy. And he is completely gone. He's, he's looking at his sheep. And I'm going to the lad next to me. I'm sure that's not in the book. These <laughs> <laughs> sheep, not only did they run round together once, they did a second lap like this, and we've all got to stop and watch. <laughs> Honestly, there was one person who could hold their hands laughter, except for the guy who did it, the, the welder. Yeah. He is bright red. Issue. <laughs> honestly, you'd never see it. Honestly, I, I couldn't explain it. It's so funny. <laughs> you know? The fact that you're still laughing all these years later yeah. as well. They're nervous as hell, you know. They're really s*** themselves. Yeah. I'll do this. And, uh, 
<laughs> Even I think of it now, <laughs> these sheep take off like this, and we watch them disappear. And they go out. <laughs> <laughs> and they come back again and they're off again. <laughs> Can you imagine what it's like, Maisie? Honestly. Brilliant. The lad Brilliant. was in bits. You could, you could have thrown him in the river and he'd be quite happy. That was, that was such an enjoyable two weeks. And I was by the end of it, I was fitter than a butcher's dog. It Was that the first time you realised, Jim, how much you actually enjoyed the coaching? I knew I enjoyed coaching kids. I, I, mm-hmm. The FA came and asked Luton if he could put someone forward to coach, I think it was 12, 13s and 14s. And so I did it. And I did it in an indoor place in Stevenage. So I had to drive to Stevenage twice a week to do it. But I really enjoyed it, you know. And I think I was telling them some rubbish. I don't think I did everything sorted in my head by any means. But I did some things that, that was quite good and I, I enjoyed it. I was a bit gutted when it finished. If they were just doing a limited series, you know. It was good. And I knew then I would like to coach kids. I like coaching kids, you know. So you managed Luton for a couple of years. Yeah. Kept them up, mm-hmm. but then left. And then you got a phone call from Sir Alex. That's roughly it, yeah. A lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in between that. but still. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think that one day you would go back to Manchester United? No. So that was never in your aim or in your thought no. process? No, not at all. I am... Um, did you know Sir Alex before? No, I didn't. I'd only seen him really once uh, when I was uh, coaching, managing Luton the first time. We, the World Cup was in Italy. Luton's the home of um, Vauxhall. So they have, I can't remember what kind of big car, big luxury car with a radio in it at that time, you know. I said to Neil, come on, let's go. Let's jump in a car and drive down to Italy. So we did that in the summer, came up. And that was a fantastic thing. That was unbelievable. That is an unbelievable thing to do with your son, who's football crazy. And, you know, I don't know where you are with children, but that was a, you know, just Neil was absolutely besotted by football, by all the different kinds of football. And we went to all, as many games as possible. And and we saw Sir Alex standing, one of those, remember that strange figure they had for the World Cup, different colours and stuff. It was a, like a statue yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw him standing there. I said, you know, if I go up to him and say, I'm Jim Ryan, he might have a spare ticket because we were just scalping tickets. We didn't have dead tickets to go. <laughs> it was a, it was like the week before or something. And did you get a ticket from Sir Alex? No, I didn't. I wasn't going oh. to go and ask him. I didn't have a nerve. <laughs> but you got in anyway. No, I didn't know him. I, I didn't. I'd never met him before. I had no idea who he was. Well, I know I knew who he was, but I, I didn't know anything about him. I'd never met him before. I couldn't see me walking up and saying, "Excuse me, Jim Ryan." <laughs> so when he phoned you. Did he tell you, I want you to take over? Because you came in as reserve manager, is that right? Yeah. And did he say, I want you to take on this role? Did he mention that the, the crop of players that were coming through at that time? Or how did that no, conversation go? No, he didn't go? say that at all. What, it, what happened was another example of how lucky I am. I say this to people and say, oh, he, he's being modest. I'm not really being modest at all. I'm telling you actually how lucky I was. I was having trouble with the, the, the two guys that owned Luton now. Right, they knew nothing about football. We just selling players all the time. We couldn't buy anyone. We played in the, we won the indoor league in Manchester. We beat United on the way, five a side thing, you know. Yeah. Which gave us some money. Which we got a young non-league player. We bought him. That was the only player we bought in two years. Anyway, they they got me in and sacked me. So I said to them, I've been here five years as a player, and four years as a coach. 
you've been here one year. I should be sacking you too. I, was, mm. <laughs> I knew they were going to do it. It was in the papers, yeah, you know, yeah. they were going to do yeah. it. I knew they were going to do it. And, the, and we'd stayed up. The guy who went down, the two coaches went down, never got sacked. I was the only one who got sacked and I'd kept them in the league. Oh, no. The players were great. Terrific. Got great with them. So this, the, well, you believe this, Maisie. This is absolutely true. So I says, oh, I should be sacking you. Right. Oh, well, there's no need to be. I said, no, okay, all right. And so what about my money? He goes, oh, no, no money. We're just, uh, we're just uh, letting you go. I says, well, my contract. What about him? I says, well, you have to pay up my contract. <laughs> One of them gets up and goes out to get the secretary of the club. This will show you how stupid he is as well. He brings the secretary back with him so I can see him. And he goes, right, Bill, Jim, Jim seems to think he's got some money coming to him for we'll just sack them. And Bill goes, well, of course he has. You have to pay up the rest of his contract. <laughs> they did not know when they were sacking me that they had to you. pay up. Oh, yeah, just sack them now. So then I, now that meant I had to wrestle now with it, right? Where are they going to pay? How are you going to pay it? So I've got the PFA working for me. So eventually, one season's about a month gone, something like that. The, guys, the guy in the PFA says, well, they've made another offer, and it's this. So I says, what do you think? He says, well, you can wrestle about for a while, but in the end, it's probably the, a good one, a good offer to take. So I says, I suppose it's up to you, but I, I'd be inclined to take it all. So he got in touch with them and told them he's going to come in, and he's coming in on a Friday, go in and see them, get the paperwork, and had to go to the bank as well with it, right? So it goes in and we go through all this paperwork and stuff and it's all split into different times, you know. I come out then and walk down to the bank. It's just at the bottom of the road, straight in, put some money in the bank and that's it. I go to Safeways, get some dinner because I was, uh, the kids were staying with me then, you know. Neil and Jane were both living with me. So it goes back, we get the big spaghetti dinner because I knew they liked that, you know. And I was a genius at it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that's it. Then we go, Neil's gutted. Neil is absolutely gutted that I've been sacked. He stayed up. He kept him in the league and they sacked you. All this, you know. I said, don't worry about it, Neil, don't worry. So we have a dinner. It's a nice dinner, you know. And uh, the phone goes, is that Jim Ryan? This is Alex Ferguson here. Yeah? I thought, this is my mate taking the piss, you know. He said, are you interested in coaching the, for United? I said, yeah. He said, we've got a vacancy here for the reserve team coach come youth team or something he said it wasn't fixed can you come down this weekend I said okay yeah so I phoned my mate up Chris he says well you can stay here he lives out in the countryside so I goes in meets the gaffer talks to him you know takes me around the cliff and uh, of course I'd, I'd been there when it was a I played there so I tell her yeah I played so he ends up he said something that sounded a bit ambiguous to me and it sounded like he was saying well I'll call you on Monday. When are you going back to Luton? I says, Monday morning. He says, well, I'll call you on Monday. What he was calling me about was to see if I wanted to take the job. But I thought he was calling, he was going to call me if I'd got the job or it was, or he wanted another interview or something. So I'm with Chris and Chris is going, you should phone him up and tell him you want to go. I says, you know, he'll make his own mind up, you know. So we went through the Sunday, at Sunday dinner and got up the next morning early to drive back to Luton. So driving by good fortune, of course, the car I had had a telephone in it, which was very rare in those days. So I'm going down the lanes to get to the M6, and the phone goes, oh, you know, so picks up. 
Oh, Jim, this is Alex Ferguson here. Have you made up your mind yet? And I thought, made up my mind. I was waiting on him. I'm waiting on him to say something to me. He's waiting for me to call. I says, yeah, I'd love to do that. Okay, well, this is the dates we've penciled in for coming back. And I drove home, you know. And of course, when I got back, I tell Neil, and Neil's absolutely over the moon. What? Alex Ferguson, United. He was made up, Neil. That's lovely. And that started a very, very long career at Manchester United, one which you must be so, so proud of. All those players, Jim, that you've been involved in their career is unbelievable. But let's start on the first year. That was the class of 92 coming Mm. through. Everybody, of course, knows that Eric Harrison had the players, you know, as youngsters. But you were reserve team manager. You had a big influential um, impact on them players as well. Yeah, I think so. I know you're not going to say that yourself. But you did. No, I think they, um, it seemed, it seemed they stayed longer with Derek than would normally be just to step up. Because I got, I would sometimes get two or three of them at a time and play in the team. There was no doubt they were really good players. Then the, the end of that season, then they were more or less coming with me all the time, you know. So I, I coached them for the next two seasons, maybe. But by that time, they were also already breaking into the first team. Did you know that they were all ready? Oh, no, I don't think, I can't say that. What a, what I knew was, David Pleat stopped me once. He says, is this true that there's 10, you've got 10 fantastic players in the same group? And I says, well, I don't know about fantastic, but they're certainly all right. Move that wee mouse again. Oh, no, I didn't do it. It's not having it. Come on, Helen, you'll take support. We can still see you. Can you? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a very good good looking line, but I can still see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you are. This is a long story, isn't it? This is unbelievable. Is it too long for you? Sorry, Jim. We're just getting on to the good stuff. No, no, it's not. It's, not, it's nice to remember it. It's not, once you get into it, I remember the things, details, and things like that, you know? Yeah. So um, another player that was in that group that we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago was Ben Thornley. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about the injury he suffered and how about five minutes before you'd said to him, did he want to come off? Yeah. What do you remember of that game? I remember that the, we played at Berry. And it seemed like everybody was playing at Berry. Berry's first team played there. And then I think maybe they had a, another team that played there as well. And we were using it for reserve team games. And the pitch was just soft and mushy. And it didn't help us to play good football. I was thinking that at the time. And when I saw the, the accident, I really didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was like I, sub- I subsequently saw it on the television. And the... Uh, of course, it turned out very bad for him. Yeah, it was devastating for him, wasn't it? Was he a player that you thought... I mean, I'm sure you've seen lots of players that didn't reach their full potential, but with Ben, it was it was so unfortunate that it was the injury that he, he admits himself, you know, it probably... Oh, yeah, I'm sure, oh, it was. There's no doubt about that. That was that injury stopped him. He played for the first team before at West Ham, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah did you? Yeah, so he was, on, he was on the road. He was physically strong, Ben. Not... Very aggressive, particularly aggressive, but he was couldn't knock him off the ball. He struggled to knock him off the ball when he was flying, you know. Mm. Another another couple of players that you've been involved in that we've had on the podcast are Ronnie Johnson and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, you can obviously take a huge amount of credit in Oli because you were you were scouting Ronnie, right? And you saw Oli playing. Yeah. We were with the, I was with um, the ex Aberdeen player who was coach at Wolves. What's his name? I can't remember his name now. And uh, George Graham, we were together in the same hotel, went to the game together. I was supposed to look at Ronnie and uh, weigh him up. I think they'd had, 
there are other people look at them as well. You know, they don't just first one says it gets you don't. So I went to the game and I watched Ronnie. It was too easy for Ronnie. They ended up winning five one or something, five or six. But uh, once I'd, my eyes had adjusted to watching a schoolboy play in the game, which is what all he looked like to me. He looked like a fifteen-year-old, and I think he's did he score two goals that day. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what he said. You know, you know better than me. I'm sitting next to Mark McGee, who keeps telling me I need a centre forward. I'm desperate for a goal scorer. He was at Wolves then. And as the game goes on, I'm thinking, he'll be watching this lad now. He's got, I think he scored two two goals, plus hit the bar and all the rest of it. You know, the typical things you see that makes you think this guy's a goal scorer. So we watched, we went and had something to eat and then we came home the next day. And all the way back, I'm thinking, I better do something about this. He was talking about the money. It was 90,000 or so, 900,000. I'm thinking, that looks all right for somebody that looks like a real goal scorer. So I came back. I couldn't get a hold of Les. Les Kershaw was the one I would normally spoke to when I seen the player, you know. He was in Portugal. So there was nobody here except the manager. So I thought, oh, I don't want to disturb him. And it's, it was a Sunday I was coming back. So it was bugging me all the time, you know. I'm thinking, these rules, rules will be speaking to him now or maybe one of the German teams that was there. Till eventually I thought, oh, I'll just phone the manager. So I phoned him up. And uh, he says, what about Johnson? What do you think? I said, yeah, he looks all right, but... They've got a, a young centre forward who looks a real goal scorer. So I talked to him and talked to him. I told him what had happened, how we'd seen it in this, you know. And I says, I'm worried that Mark McGee's at the game. He's telling me that they need a centre forward. So you might lose him, you know. So he says, OK, leave it, leave it with me. And I didn't know you'd do it. Next thing I knew, they'd signed him. <laughs> I went into I went the training. Started the new season, first day. And he's there. Well, somebody told me they'd signed him. So um, Brian Kidd comes up to me and says, you've done it now, haven't you? I says, well, he says, you've signed a schoolboy. Because Oli was such a, <laughs> looked like a little boy, didn't he? And uh, I thought, oh, don't tell me I've made a mistake here. <laughs> anyway, I don't think it was a mistake in the end. It was, uh, he did all right, didn't he? Yeah, he did okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim, did you prefer your role working doing a bit of scouting and working with the younger players or did you prefer it in those seasons where you stepped up and were Sir Alex's right-hand man um, when Steve McLaren left and when Brian Kidd left and, and worked with the first team? I don't think, I, I think I've always wanted to work with kids because before I got the job at Luton, I did a thing for the FA in Stevenage. It was all um, 12 to 14 years and the guy says, do, see, try and do different things with them, see if you can find something that works. So I did that for about four or five months, but I really liked it. And I got on I got on well with the kids, you know. Probably a lot of times I could do a little trick with the ball, and they liked that, you know. So I kind of always favoured teaching kids how to play, helping to make them decent players. Develop them, yeah. Yeah, make them, give them confidence or looking to see how that could all be done, you know. It's still, it's still nice playing with it, working with the first team. Nice that you've you've had two perspectives as well. Yeah, and you've managed Manchester United, that one game that Sir Alex uh, was missing. No, no. He woke me in the morning. Hey, can you take the team today? <laughs> Did you enjoy that experience, though? No, it wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable because we lost. <laughs> so I couldn't say it was enjoyable. But And the thing is, I'm nervous about take, about being the one who lets them down. You know, hmm. I kept thinking, the manager wins all these games and now you give it to me. Just do like the thing for us to lose. 
<laughs> and sure enough, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> Jim, you've brought so many players through, as I mentioned. What do you, when you were going out and scouting players and even bringing players through the academy, what were the main things that you looked for in a player? Oh, I think you look for everything, you know. You need a lot of things to be a really top player. So you look at everything. That means you see somebody who's maybe 70% there or 50% whatever, but you think he could reach the first team by a, a year or two of improvement, you know. And uh, and so that's the way I worked at them. Are they going to get in the first team? If they're not getting in the first team, can we get some money for them? Sounds a bit cold-hearted, that, but that's what you're doing, really. Mm-hmm. The ones who are, you think are going through, you may be doing a little bit of extra work here or there. And that's how you're working. You just, this this lad looks like he's got something. Can we get it out? And sometimes you've got to hammer him. You know, why are you not, you're not training properly? You're not, you know, you've got to let them know it's, if you've got all these things in place, then you just try to pick what it is about the players. But the other point thing with that is that I used to be in every Sunday and watch the kids play. Mm-hmm. I love watching the young youngsters play. You know, then you're seeing players all the time, practically. What age is the youngest age you've spotted a player that you think he's going to go all the way and they have? There's been a lot who have been the opposite of that. Looked like they had everything and didn't, didn't uh, mm-hmm. fulfil it, you know. And in fact, also had you get some who who think they've got it all, but really then they're well short, they're well short in physical effort, you know. But the basic things, you know, hard to get them to run about. You wouldn't imagine that would be a problem, would you? No. Yeah, just run about. It's Manchester United. If you get in this team, you're made. No, they didn't want to run about. They wanted to do something else, show something in the ball or something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what all scouts will tell you. The same thing. You know, you're looking at a player, this, that. Can he do this? Can he do that? Is his mentality right? Did you feel that sort of sense of pride when players made it through? Especially having done it for like 20 years or so, starting with the the class of 92 and then the likes of Paul Pogba and Gerard Piquet and Johnny Evans and yeah, so on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm proud of um, Kingsley Black, who came to Luton as a kid when he was 15 or something, you know. And we get him in and got him straight up into the reserve team and... He's had a great career, you know. And I think anybody, that's what you're thinking. Any player comes through, you feel pleased about it. I felt the same for, the same as probably Eric felt for those players, you know, Nicky and all that group. You just feel great, you know, that's, we've got them. Every so often they need a little tweak here or there, you know. And then sometimes you'll do things that work out really well and you feel over the moon about it, you know. Was uh, was there anyone else you scouted that we might not know about? Um, well, you'd have... I must have scouted everybody who was a 17-year-old at the club. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, I, the one I really liked was the, the Italian boy. Uh, Rossi. Rossi. Oh, he was he was a shoehorn for... I watched him play five times in Italy. You know, well, once was in France, the tournament in France. The rest of the time I watched him play for his club or his country. He scored in every single game. And it was inevitably a really well-placed or a rocket, you know, a nice, not an ordinary kind of scrambled goal. Even the last one, his team reached the final, Parma he played for, reached the final of the Youth Cup in Italy. And I went to the final. He had played through the week for Italy, so he didn't start the game. He sat on the bench. So they played the game, and it's kind of dull. 20 minutes to go, they put him on. Within 15 minutes, he'd scored the goal that won them the cup. Just bang, rifled it right in the net, you know. 
So obviously he didn't have the career because of injuries that you would have hoped that he would have. Yeah. Was there anybody who who didn't expect necessarily to do so well and then just flourished when they maybe got a little bit older and had a great career? I think there's a lot of players like that because you don't always see them because they've had their career with uh, Sheffield Wednesday or right. Derby County or even uh, uh, first division clubs, you know. After United, though, was there anybody that's really surprised you? That you probably didn't think mm, they might be uh, on the fringes, but they've gone on and... There's always players who will surprise you and half of it sometimes it's like this they look like they're going to be a really good player and then they fade something's gone wrong with them their personal life maybe something right and you're thinking oh that's a bad loss and then they'll suddenly flourish again you know mm-hmm. and when they flourish then you get lots of people saying oh I always knew he was a good player but you it's not quite as simple as that you know because you you watch them all the time how's he doing oh he's coming down or he's going up now he's starting to do it so you kind of it's not like you suddenly know he's going to be a player. There's lots of places in between where you could you could lose it. You could lose it to the game. You know, he's not going to do it. And then there's some who you genuinely think are top-class players and they don't do anything. Who's the best youth player you've seen? I, I think probably Scolzi. You know, um, Scolzi's got that. He's, he's, he's really tough and physical. Oh, you, you know this, Maisie, don't you? Yeah. He's really tough and physical, but... It's his, it's his skill that gets him most of the, the rewards. It's the things when he's nice touch on the ball or he receives a pass nice or he makes a pass nice or he, or he hammers him in from whatever distance. Hmm. So he's a, he's a talent. You know, that, that's what I call talent. He's talented. I think that's probably that. I mean, Ryan, I didn't have a lot of dealings with Ryan. When I first came here, they sent me to um, Cornwall, the tournament for the reserve teams. And they sent Giggsy with us. I didn't know any of the players. That was the first dealings with them. And uh, we played the first game and we beat was it Liverpool. Anyway, we played the second game and Giggsy scored a big goal, chipped the goalie from 40 yards or something. We had been, at Luton, we'd been trying to get that kind of player quick. So I was I spoke to John Faulkner and phoned him up. I said, John, you know that player we've been looking for all this time? He's here, he's playing for Manchester United. He just scored a goal. <laughs> And that was Giggsy, you know, and I didn't know, I didn't know much about Giggsy, you know. I think he might, maybe trained maybe once or something. It was a pre-season thing and the first year I was here. He obviously is a talent, you know, been a great talent. What about a, a former youth player who then went on to become the most expensive footballer in the world for a point and it's now integral to the midfield, Paul Pogba. What was he like when you were coaching him? I thought he was a stone certain. He, he, a, he came to us in a, in a funny way. We used to go every year to a tournament around Paris, right? And that had international teams playing. So you had to drive back and forward. You had to drive around the outskirts of Paris, find the ground, get in, get a team sheet, and just in time you could watch the game. But you had to leave five minutes before the end to get to the next one, you know, because it was like they were dotted around like this. So he was playing in one of those teams. He was playing for the French team and just doing what he does. And the only thing was, I think he looks a bit lanky. And I think he's, he's, he's more filled out now. He's, but then he was kind of uh, skinny. So watching him, I thought, well, he's definitely got something. Kept doing these little tricks, you know. They're the one, uh, are they the ones you time, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> who were you with, Jim, when you went to those tournaments? Did you go with Paul McGuinness or who, who did you go? Um, well, uh, the ones in France, it was mostly 
Les Kershaw. Mm-hmm. But a couple of times at the end, I did them on my own. Mm-hmm. So I meet the Arsenal scout. We had to have transport, so one of the guys hired a car. Because you're driving around the outskirts of Paris, it's, you're, you're not guaranteed you're going to get to the thing. So sometimes the traffic's terrible, you know. And did you know of players' names before you went to these tournaments? Like who to look out for or with Paul Pogba? The pin-up. Well, occasionally we'd get, we'd get uh, names. Watch out for him. But mostly they had a team sheet pinned up on the wall when you arrived at the stadium. And you copied it down, you know. And then you watched the players and if you see anybody, you put a note about them. And then when you finished that one, you had to drive to the next place. And in a funny way, I enjoyed it. You know, you're racing through the streets of Paris. Oh, it's, it's, you're in the suburbs and driving through. Yeah, I enjoyed coaching them. And you would always, you'd see some player do something good, you know. You're very humble, Jim. You, you just scouted Paul Pogba and you're talking about it as if like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I just saw him in a wee tournament. Like went on to Tessam to be the most expensive player of all time. Well, I'm pleased. He did because his skills. We did a podcast with him and he was very complimentary about you as a lot of the other youth players have been. A lot of them have mentioned you. So you should be very, very proud of that as well. I well, just want to you tell him there's no refunds. <laughs> In the, obviously, you had, a different, you had a very different job to Sir Alex when you worked with him at Manchester United. Yeah. But did you try and take anything uh, that he did with the first team into your role with the reserve team? I've heard that perhaps you took uh, a few things, including his approach to half-time when United were 3-0 down to Tottenham. Yeah. And then you had a reserve game where it was 0-0 at half-time and you tried to tried to do what he'd done. Yeah, I did I did it, yeah. The, um, the Tottenham game, what people, people don't know, that was a fantastic performance by the team, absolutely brilliant. But what people don't realise is that the crowds had stopped us getting to the ground and I had to jump off the bus and run through all these people to get to the referee's room with the team sheet. So I gave them the team sheet. That meant the players were late arriving. And so when they went on, they weren't warmed up and they, they started the game poorly. So they, it wasn't all to do with... Uh, the, the fact was they had been screwed up the bus arrangements or something. Yeah. So people didn't mention it, you know, when it was all over. When you'd think they'd say, oh, yeah, but that was because they arrived at the ground late. They were 10 minutes short of, of, the, of the thing, you know. So, um, and I'd gone ahead to do it. Have you told? Do you know what happened in that halftime? I've seen an account that you gave before, which is why I thought I'd ask about it. Yeah, that was because I heard that you did the same thing. Oh yeah, he never. Everybody says, "Oh, he must have been blowtorching people and stuff." You know, he didn't. He just kind of walked around with a cup of tea and looked at them, and you could see the players. The tension was getting higher and higher, and I was getting like that. I'm like, maybe I should say something, you know. And then he never said anything until it came to near the end, and he goes. Who did he change? He brought on Mikhail Sylvester for Dennis Owen. For Dennis Owen. And he goes, and as they're going out the thing, he goes, uh, I'm sure he said, now get it sorted. He hadn't said anything before, except the sh- about the shirts. D- Dennis come, come off. So he, I, I wondered, well, what, what, what followed from them was, I thought, that was strange. I wonder if he's done that before and knows that sometimes a silence is better than a rollicking. And I was interested in that because I've got to speak to reserve teams and halftime and everything, you know. So I said, I wonder what it was. There was so much tension in the dressing room at halftime. You know, you felt like, oh, God, okay. say something, somebody speak. Yeah. <laughs> so I still don't know whether that was his... I know that I tried it the next reserve game. We played Sunderland and we beat them 1-0. And we just... Um, 
did the same thing, you know. So at half time, you just walked around with a cup of tea at nil nil. Yeah, put a cup of tea, sat on the bench. You know, there's a bench in there. Sat down drinking. The players are all around like this. Had a cup of tea. Went back out to where the physios were standing to a little chat with them. You know, waited until the referee blew for halftime finish. You know. Went back in and says, now come on, get it sorted. Actually, I didn't need to say that because that was one of the best performances I had all year. The football was brilliant. And the, the only thing was, they never scored any goals. We scored the goal, eventually we beat them 1-0. But it was just like um, they played and they played and they played. and you knew, I knew we were going to win. And I'm pretty sure it was nothing to do with me not saying anything at half-time. Maisie will tell you that he never paid any attention to I that. I was just going to ask Maisie. Obviously, you two have known each other for a long time. Maisie, what's your uh, memories of Jim in and around the changing room? Uh, different class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The cards. Do you know what? I, 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 yeah, I, I always got I always the cards on the bus. Is a little trick. He always just a little tricky. Go down to pick the ball up and toe poke it away and just take the. <laughs> Out of the lads, but do that in in the middle of the game, just to, just to take the piss out of the lads. Great coach, great coach, very knowledgeable. And I think throughout your career, you, you I mean, you you play with different coaches and different managers, and they all have different ways. And I don't think I don't think I ever saw Jim. I, I can't remember ever you blowing your top or ranting and raving. You was as you just just touched on there. Sometimes you, less is more. You don't need to say anything. Yeah, you use it. A fantastic bloke, always, always great to talk to, knowledgeable. But you could see that everybody respected you so much, and and listening to, uh, you know, listening to the lads on the podcast that we've done of uh, you know players previous, you know, like Scalzi and um, Ben, Paul mentioned you. Everybody puts you in such a high esteem. You know, when you've got players like that saying those words, then you know you're a good man, and you're you know you're a good coach, and. You're you're a very humble man, Jim. To say you know, listening to you now, the plays that you brought through, and you just it's, you know, it's just the norm for you. Mm. But you're a very very talented man, and you know, I I loved working with you. I really did. Oh, he was a he was a great credit, fantastic credit to the club. Indeed, Jim. Do you do you miss anything in your retirement about oh, going yeah. to Carrington? Do you still go down and watch the youth players? Yeah, I go now. I mean, I go now because of Neil's there. Youth team coach. He's under 18s manager. Yeah, so he, he likes to get my opinion on the games, you know, and what they're doing. But he's a good coach. Well, I say that as my son, but I think he's a good coach. Right? <laughs> so your legacy is living on through Neil at the club. So you're still in and around there, which is good. And some uh, Ryan's have been some uh, got some <laughs> time there, hasn't he? Neil's been there about <laughs> nine years. I was there nearly thirty, wasn't I? Yeah. And the rest before. Yeah. Uh, a proper. Dynasty. Yeah. Yeah. That nobody knows about it. <laughs> so, well, that's the thing. Because you're so humble, you don't tell your story, do you? Uh, well, I don't The way you talk about players, and like, you've scouted all of those. Yeah, I've scouted a lot of players and stuff. But it takes more than that to get a good player there, you know. No, but... And people, I scout them sometimes because somebody's seen them before. Yeah. And called us and said, hey, there's a guy playing in Zidane. Same it is to watch Zidane play one time down in the south of France. Did you not write him? <laughs> Can't see this. <laughs> no, he came on as a he'll sub. Never, he'll never make it. Hey, he'll never make it. Happened, he came on as a sub. He didn't even start the game. And then, wow. and we'd obviously someone said to the club, "This lad, there's a lad there called Zidane, who's a good player. You can get him or something." 
because he didn't start the game and then suddenly came on. But when he came on, he did a few of those, you know. Yeah. The one that got away, Jim. Not a good way to end, Jim. We've just went through all your accolades and then you said you missed out in Zidane. <laughs> yeah, what did he ever do? <laughs> I'm joking. Think about all the yeah, ones that we got. Absolutely. Well, some, some you can't get. There's some that you, you don't have a chance no. to get. Yeah. You know? Thank you so much, Jim. I hope you enjoyed looking back on all of your, your time at United. Yeah, I do, yeah. All our yesterdays. <laughs> It was really brilliant to, to hear Absolutely. your stories. Anybody that we should speak to from your playing days or coaching days that would be good on our podcast has some good stories. Johnny Aston, do you speak to Johnny? Yeah, we can do. Oh, John played in the European Cup final. Perfect. And many people said he was the best player. Good shot. Yeah, he got a couple of man of the matches, didn't he, in the way through? He's an unusual um, personality in a way, John. His sense of humour is not the same as other people's. I might get on with Maisie then. That's who I got on. Oh, I got on great with, I got on great with John. But, uh, Jim, it's been a privilege to speak to you. Jim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, good. I enjoyed it. All of yesterday's. Different class. Great <laughs> to see you, Paul. All right. Take care, man. Bye. How do you switch this off? <laughs> there should be a leave meeting in red. Put my glasses on. Is that there? Yeah. It must be that. A little red. That's it. No, it's not having that. <laughs> no, it should be. Are you on a laptop, Jim, or an iPad? Uh, lap, uh, laptop, is it? So it should be in the bottom right-hand oh, yeah. corner. Leave. There's a button saying leave. Yeah. <laughs> That's one, pal. All right. <laughs> See you, Take care. Cheers, Jim. Take care, pal. Bye, Jim. <laughs> See you, bye. You haven't pressed it yet, Jim. Is that it? Leave me. There you go. <laughs> oh. So Jim having some technical difficulties at the end there, like ourselves, maybe we often have those. Um, what a great chat that was. Oh, brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Great stories. Absolute belting stories. Yeah. From, um, you know, the time playing at United in, in 68, as you said, joining the club in 62, um, playing with best Lauren Charlton. <laughs> the stories in America are just class. Brilliant. The, the story about the horse is amazing, like being desperate to play against United and kept missing them because Luton were going up and down and United were going up and down. And then to finally get the chance, he has to go out on a rogue horse. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Brilliant. Also playing against Pele, that was yeah, incredible yeah. story. I was like, Pele was a bit nasty. Yeah, yeah I know. I, yeah, he was. Well, you would be getting kicked uh, 10 bells out of you every, every game. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good But point. even though it's an exhibition yeah. game, but uh, even meeting George Best in the hotel the day before a game, you know, finding them all absolutely leathered. Brilliant. Even just doing his coaching badges and the people running the course not realising that he'd played for Manchester United. I know. Yeah. So he's doing it with, with, with some plumbers and stuff. I, I find that incredible as well. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that's... You'd think somebody would know. Yeah, well, that's when, you know, coaching badges started first coming out years and years and years ago. You wouldn't have ex-players there or you just have, you know. Yeah, but you have football fans that would know. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, but these bricklayers and solicitors and, you know. And he's not going to be the type to say, oh, yeah, I played for Manchester and I didn't have no. a... Well, that's it. What? A European medal. Because in my head, I'm going to say straight away. Yeah. Guys, I've played, but it's just... Yeah, do you know who I am? That's yeah. what you would say, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I'll be screaming it. <laughs> we we kept probing him about bringing all these players through. I think he was a little bit too humble to admit that he basically was in charge of the academy and every player coming through there. Um, but it was nice to hear his stories on a couple of the players that he did mention. Schools, he said, was the best youth player yeah. uh, he's ever seen come through, which I'm sure is no surprise to you, Maisie. Yeah, yeah, of course. Everybody, 
you know, right, Skulls is so highly, but, you know, seeing Pogba come through, Giuseppe, Giuseppe Rossi, that didn't quite really make it at United. He was very fond of him. Even Ollie, Ollie, you know, the current manager now. So technically, Jim can be solely responsible for winning 99. Yeah. And our current manager. I was going to say that to him, but I thought he'd just be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's the reality of it isn't it yeah absolutely <laughs> well, and also we think about all the all the all the effort he made to like make sure that say ollie came to the club but i was uh, i was reading some stuff about him he he told us we didn't we didn't talk about it on the podcast but he was on holiday in america and Sir alex phoned him and said oh there's this guy in france he's playing like tomorrow i need to know if he's any good can you go and watch him and he was like yep left his holiday went to france watch guy was rubbish didn't sign him but it's it, making those huge sacrifices mm-hmm. are just as important, I suppose, as making the ones when you go and find a Paul Pogba as to making sure you don't sign the bad ones. Like Zidane. Like, like Zidane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a brilliant story too. Yeah. But I know, as you say, um, as you said before, Sam, somebody who's gone under the radar, but somebody who a lot of the ex-players have mentioned, particularly ones coming up through the academy. I know that he's always talked about in our house how Mm. influential he was uh, on the career of those guys. And that was a thoroughly enjoyable chat. I really, really enjoyed that. It was. It was great. Yeah, great stuff. Come on, troops. Let's do some emails. All right, I've got one here from Killian Durek, who says, Hello to you all. Just sending in a quick message to say I'm really enjoying the podcast. It's humorous, serious and insightful all rolled into one. Due to COVID-19, my work has now changed and I'm working from home. So I get to listen to podcasts when usually never had the opportunity. Worked out well, really. A couple of questions. First for Helen. Is the hawk she bought to ward off pigeons a kite or like a statue? <laughs> it's a statue, isn't it, Helen? It's a statue, yeah. Okay, it says, because he says, as I bought the kite version and it works a treat. So maybe you need to get the kite version. Uh, got one after she mentioned it on the pod. Uh, second question is for Maisie. Maisie, is the beer machine, he has the beer hawk one? Uh, no, this is the blade drinks machine. Yeah. Okay. So uh, since he mentioned it, I need I now to get one as a 30th birthday treat. I uh, would love to hear Roy Keane on the pod. If not, Keno, then Nicky Butt. I bet he has some tales to tell. Keep up the good work and we'll keep the red flag flying high. Kind regards, Killian from uh, County Tipperary in Ireland and Rochester in Kent. Thank you, Killian. Thank you. Eamon Heslin says, I have a new game. Listen to any interview with Ben Thornley with a bottle of wine or a keg of beer and take a swig every time he says the word book. <laughs> you may need a brewery. <laughs> uh, he's got a book out for anybody that doesn't know. That is excellent. Thank you, Eamon. Good luck to you. If you play that game, you may need to have a, 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 an ambulance on standby. Uh, Andy Knight. Hi, Helen, Sam and Maisie. Can't tell you how much the podcast have helped me through lockdown. Always listen when I'm taking the dog for his morning walk and not ashamed to say that apart from the general Cheshire cat grin I have while walking, I have at times had to wipe a tear from my eye. The Lumicari one was particularly embarrassing. I was in the queue for Sainsbury's at the time. That's not where you want to be when you listen to that story, is it? No. Um, And again, this morning, listening to Ben Thornley, I couldn't help but admire the attitude of someone who I felt would have become a United legend. Keep up the good work. And apart from the obvious Sir Alex requests, I would love to hear from the Neville brothers, Andy. Thank you, Andy. I actually find it amazing where people watch, listen, sorry, not watch, listen to these podcasts. We've had some incredible stories about that. I mean, I know when I listen to podcasts, it's only when I go out and take Eli for a walk. But people listen to them in strange places. I love it. Not that Sainsbury's is a strange place. I wonder wonder where the most obscure place is that somebody's actually listening. Hmm. Well, whoever you are. Let us know, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a great show. Tell us where you're listening to the podcasts. Like on top of a tree or on a boat. (laughs) 
Yeah, wherever yeah, it may be. Or on a, the jacks might be listening. Or on a house, putting <laughs> pigeons to the rights. Oh, let's stop the pigeon talk. I can't cope with it anymore. You need to get the kite, Helen, it turns out. You need to get the hat, yeah. I need to get the kite. Yeah, you need to get the kite uh, version. That is it for another week. Thank you if you made it all the way to the end. Remember, if you want to get in touch, you can email us, unitedpodcast at manunited.co.uk, utdpodcast at manunited.co.uk. That address is in the notes for this episode if you need it. Also, a reminder that you can watch the box set of all our episodes on the United Podcast on MUTV with new episodes airing every Friday. That's it, guys. We'll see you again next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Well done, troops. Bye.